1: Now, I think there is absolutely no question that there is a relationship between the start of Mark 4 and the end of Mark 3. At the end of Mark 3, the scribes and the religious leaders have hardened in their willful opposition to Jesus. They are not prepared to credit his claims or to accept his authority. They have begun a smear campaign, and Judaism has begun to fracture into various groups in terms of how they are responding to Jesus. And then all of a sudden, Jesus starts teaching in parables. And I think there is a connection between those two facts. A lot of scholars talk about how parables are uniquely suited to the new environment that Jesus finds himself in. Now, the word parable means to lay alongside. So parables deal in comparison and contrast. A parable is is saying, it's like that right? The kingdom of God is like this, or the kingdom of God is like that. And these parables serve to veil the message of Jesus from his opponents and from those who are disinterested, right? Think of the mob or the crowd who just wants to get something from Jesus. And simultaneously, parables serve to reward people who are truly seeking. So parables either pull you in or push you out. They are just enigmatic enough that you could listen to it and think yeah whatever okay I don't need any more stories about farming and you could pull back or you could you could immediately sense that there is something deeper something truer in this parable and you could lean in that's the magic of parables they push you in or they pull you out they or they push you out and pull you in however you want to think about it that's what Jesus is doing in these parables now, Jesus says that in this chapter. We'll get to that in just a minute, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. I think it would be best probably to just read the first parable in full, along with its explanation, because it is presented by Jesus as a sort of interpretive key to the whole genre of parables. So we'll read it thoroughly and carefully before moving on to the rest of the chapter. Here now the reading of God's word, beginning at verse 1. "'Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. "'And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. "'Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew and choked it, and it yielded no grain.' And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold, and sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word of God and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. Now, it sure looks like Mark gives us sort of the director's cut of the first parable, uh, complete with full explanation, so that we can see and understand the basic method to interpreting the parables as a whole. Jesus says that in verse 13. He says, basically, if we get this one, we should get them all. If we don't get this one, we aren't likely to get any of them. All right, so this one is the interpretive key. Now, all of these parables seem to be answering the question, why are people responding to Jesus in such radically different ways? Right? Some people are, are worshiping him. Some people are planning to kill him. Why is that happening? And this parable begins to point us in the direction of an answer. First thing it seems to say is that the human heart in its natural state is too hard, too shallow, and too distracted to believe, right? We, you can see that. We've got the path people. They've been beaten down by life. They're not thinking straight. You've got the shallow soil people. They just want what they want from Jesus, but they're not really wrestling with the true, truth. They're not going deep. They're not really listening to what he's saying. You've got the thorn people, right? They can't deal with Jesus because they've got marriage issues, career issues, and all kinds of nonsense to attend to. And and that is humanity in a nutshell, Jesus says. And it explains why so many people don't believe. Second thing we see in, in this parable is that belief and faith are opposed by our enemies, right? You've got Satan. Stealing the seed in verse 15. You've got thorns choking people out in verse 19. The point seems to be that this whole faith thing is not a neutral prospect. We're not in some sort of sanitized science lab looking at things in our little test tubes. Faith is a fight and we have enemies. The world, the flesh, our desires, the devil, they all conspire against us. Third thing I think we see in this parable is that people with a good heart accept the word of God, they grow in the word of God, and they share the word of God with other people, right? Those are the good soil people. But that answer leads to a really big, important question. How do I get a good heart, right? I mean, if only the good heart people believe and are saved, how can I be a good heart person? How can I get a good heart? To get the answer to that, you got to go back to verse 11, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. Are you seeing that? Understanding is a gift. Faith is a gift. Jesus said this sort of thing all the time. In Matthew 11:25 25 to 26, he prayed. He said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, For such was your gracious will. After all these parables, Jesus says, He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. But this is the only place where he tells us how to get ears to hear. You have to receive them as a gift. Right? You have to pray. I believe, Lord help my unbelief. You have to ask for help to see and to understand and to believe. Everything about this will be grace. Or you can simply drift away into distraction, into desire, into hardness of heart and unbelief. That's what Jesus is saying. All right, let's read the rest of this chapter and just do the best we can with the time that we have left. I think it's so important to understand the first parable well because it establishes the pattern for all that follows. All right, the next one is in Mark four twenty-one to 25. It says, and he said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to become light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Now listen, this is one of those examples, uh, one of those places where actually it is to your advantage if you're a new Bible reader. Sometimes the problem with being a Christian, being raised in a Christian home and going to Sunday school, is that you think you know what something is about before you actually read it. Now, the trick here is that Jesus tells these sorts of stories, these little parables, several times in the New Testament. And occasionally, he changes some of the details. Now, you've got to remember, Jesus was a traveling teacher. He went from village to village. He probably told some version of this parable 75 times over the course of his ministry. And every once in a while, he changed a detail or two. Because remember, parables reward the careful listener. And and so there's another version of this parable in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 to 16, where the details are a little bit different. And and so if you're like me and you grew up in Sunday school and you sang the song, you know, hide it under a bushel, no, I'm going to let it shine, that we're singing the version from Matthew chapter 5 where the emphasis is on what people do with the light. But that is not what's going on here. Here, the emphasis is on the light itself. So you got to be careful, reader. The focus here is on the lamp. The focus is on the light. Jesus is the light. And according to this parable, he is hidden in plain sight. He is hidden so as to be found, meaning God has put the gospel in a place where only certain people see it. It's like the kingdom of God has a doggy door. And some people don't see it because they're not in the right place. They're not humble. They're not, they're not beaten down, right? They're not, they're not at the end of themselves. That's what's being said. All right, let's look at the next parable. Mark 4, 26 to 29. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And if I could describe that parable in a single sentence, I would just say this. The kingdom of God will grow slowly, surely, and mysteriously towards a final harvest. Listen, be nervous about anybody who can tell you the formula for evangelism or church growth. Because that's not what this parable says. He says, this guy doesn't even know what's going on. I mean, he he knows what he's supposed to do. He's supposed to sow the seed. But then the earth produces by itself right? It's like the gospel has power in and of itself. You, you can't mechanize this process. You can't turn it into a book that you sell on Amazon. Okay. And beware of anybody who says, here's the four-step process for growing your church, or here's the four-step process for, you know, bringing the kingdom of God. No, no, no. The kingdom of God will grow slowly, surely, and mysteriously towards a final harvest. By the way, the slowly bit, John the Baptist didn't see that coming. Remember John the Baptist? He said, you know, the axe is lying at the root of the tree. And, and it, John thought, he saw Jesus, and he just assumed, it's on, right? King is here, so the kingdom is here. And he wasn't wrong, but what he didn't see is this long period of delay. And so here Jesus is giving us a turn signal here. He's letting us know that he's here, the king is here, but this is going to be a slow process because we're gathering in the nations. John didn't see that either. Okay, so the kingdom of God will grow slowly, surely, and mysteriously towards a final harvest. Next parable is uh, Mark four thirty to thirty two, and he said, "What with what can we compare the kingdom of God?" Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Let me try to give this to you in a sentence as well. The kingdom of God arises out of obscurity and insignificance, but will one day fill the earth. The other day I was looking up, I'm doing this for family devotions actually out of Matthew with my kids. And so we looked up on Google mustard seed plants. And apparently there's a whole bunch of different mustard seed plants, but the one that was common in Jesus' day in that area of the world starts off as a very small seed, but then it can become a a tree or a shrub or whatever you want to call it that can be anything between six and 20 feet. Some of them in a single growing season can reach 30 feet. And so it was proverbial for things that start small, but that grow very, very large. Verses 33 to 34, with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. So again, here you see this, insiders and outsiders. You see there's this reward for leaning in, right? Parables invite us in or push us out. Verses 35 to 41, on that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with him in the boat just as he was. That's a confusing little sentence. It literally means just as he was in the boat. So you remember he was teaching from a boat because the crowds were pressing in. So literally, he didn't get out of the boat. In the same boat, they went to the other side. They're going to have a little break. As a preacher, I get this. After a long day of preaching, you need a break and you need a nap. And we're going to see that coming in the story too. So it says, and other boats were with him. Verse 37, and a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling up. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased. There was a great calm. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now, to, to really understand that parable, you've, you've got to be a, a Bible reader. And, and the, 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 Jesus assumes here, I mean, he's talking to Bible readers. He's talking to people who had the Psalms memorized. Basically, Jesus has just acted out Psalm 107. In, in Psalm 107, which these men would have had memorized... It it talks about how God shows his power and reveals his his majesty in different ways to different people, but it talks specifically about how he reveals his majesty to people who work in boats on the sea, i.e. the fisherman disciples. Now listen to the climax of that little bit of the psalm. Psalm 107, 29 to 31 says, he, speaking about God, God made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they, speaking of the fishermen, they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Oh, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. Are you seeing that? There is no way that these fishermen didn't connect the dots. That's why they asked the question at the end of the story, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? They're putting this together. They're asking the question, could this be God? Because in the Bible, it says only God can do this. And now Jesus has just done what only God can do. And so they're asking the question, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And they're beginning to connect the dots. Whether they can hold this faith or whether they can grapple with all the implications, obviously, we're going to find out as we go. But for now, they're putting it together. They're looking at Jesus and they're saying, God is over the storm and God is with us in the storm. More than that, he's in our boat. He is God over us, and he is God with us. He is Emmanuel.
0: Thanks be to God. And thank you, friends, for listening to another episode of Into the Word.